Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. There is hope if we latch on to the right kind of hope. Major Harold Kushner was captured by the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War and held for five years as a prisoner of war. He describes a young Marine who'd also been captured who had made a deal to cooperate with his captors, and they would then, they said, let him go. And yet after a while, it became clear to him that the Viet Cong had lied to him, and they were not going to let him go. And this is how Major Kushner described what happened to the young man. When the full realization of this took hold, he became a zombie. He refused to do all the work, and he rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb. In a matter of weeks, he was dead. I think it's pretty clear that that young Marine died of hopelessness. Doctors documented this with certain prisoners during World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War, and they nicknamed it Give up Itis. Dr. Arnold Hushnecker wrote, Since my early years as a physician, I learned that taking away hope is, to most people, like pronouncing a death sentence. Their already hard-pressed will to live can become paralyzed, and they may give up and die. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. We all, all of us need hope. Every human being needs hope, but we need real hope. We need living hope, not false hope, like that young Marine grabbed onto. We have to deal with the truth of our situation and, and, and not sugarcoat it. If we ignore our health or our job situation or or relationship issues, or the reality of sin in our lives, honestly, we're setting ourselves up for a very hard fall. The prophet Jeremiah warned about this, and I want to look at that this morning. So let me invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, which is about in the middle of your Bible. Chapters, we're going to be looking at chapters 27 and 28, not at every verse, but uh, beginning in 27. You can use the U, also the Version Bible app, and we have in your bulletins, uh, an insert if you don't have either of those to use to take notes and follow along. Chapter 27, verse 1 begins this way In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now, l- let's just kind of take a quick look at the big picture here. First, the geography. Here's where we are. Uh, here is Jerusalem, right over here, the Mediterranean. Uh, modern-day Turkey. This is Syria, where so much is going on today in the world. This is Iraq and Iran, and here is Babylonia. And Babylonia was in a, the the big powers at the time were Babylonia and Egypt, and they were in a kind of a war back and forth. And Nebuchadnezzar, who is now king of Babylonia, uh, was uh, seeking to conquer Egypt, and in the course of making this move, he came through Judah, the, the, northern, the southern kingdom, and ended up conquering the land. And in the process of doing that, a, a few thousand Jews were deported to Babylon. So we have kind of a, a, a timeline here just to kind of 
let you kind of see things here. 605, Babylon kind of invades. Their, their, their goal is not Judah. Their goal really is Egypt. They're heading kind of through, but in the process of doing that, they deport um, several thousand Jews, including um, the prophet Daniel, whom we read about in his own book later, as well as taking a lot of the valuable items out of the temple. In 601, so we move over a few years, Babylon and Egypt are still battling for dominance, but Judah has kind of gotten pushed to the side, and so it's kind of realigned itself with Egypt against the warnings of the Jewish prophet Jeremiah, which brings us to 597 where Babylon again kind of reasserts itself, captures Jerusalem, and, and places uh, another young man on the throne named Zedekiah. And at that time, they also deport a few more Jews, including the prophet Ezekiel. Finally, in 587, 586 B.C., as we come over here, Babylon is tired of it all. They come in, and they completely conquer Jerusalem, Judah, destroy Jerusalem, burn it, destroy the temple completely, and uh, uh, send to exile most of the remaining Jews. And that has come to be known as the exile. There are two big events in the history of the Jews, the exodus that, that occurred several hundred years before this, maybe almost a thousand years before this, and the exile. And they are two of the defining moments in the, in the life of the Jewish history. Earlier, God had warned the Jews that because of their apostasy, of, the, of, of turning away from God to worship other gods, he was going to, in fact, send the Babylonians to conquer them. And our text in Jeremiah here, 27 and 28, is set in the mid-590s with Babylon has become somewhat distracted by some internal affairs, some internal manipulations going on, uh, some wars in other areas. And uh, so after invading Judah and deporting some of these folks, they kind of left them alone for a little while, and some of the Jews begin to think that they can break away. But the real problem is, for God, they continue to worship the other gods, the, the wrong gods, instead of the Lord God. So God calls the prophet Jeremiah to perform a very symbolic act. Verse 2 says, Thus the Lord said to me, Make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Now we know that it's just a basic yoke. The thing about it was, he didn't just wear it like one time. He wore it for, some believe, years um, as, as sort of a, a visual picture of his warning, as awkward and as embarrassing it must have been. He, he did it first to deliver a very serious and disturbing message to envoys from kings of some of the lands around Judah who had apparently come to Jerusalem, possibly planning a revolt against Babylon. And, and God, who it says here in, in, in Jeremiah, who made the earth, was giving them notice that he was giving their lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, whom he, he God, called, in Scripture it says, my servant. But, he said, if the nation failed to put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation. Not just capture, but punish. And it's important to hear what God's saying here. He's saying that he can use the Babylonians, the 
what, what would have been considered the enemy of the Jews, he can use them, people who don't even believe in him, who don't follow him, to accomplish his purposes with his people. As he did, for instance, in the time of Jesus with the Jewish leaders who pushed for Jesus' crucifixion so that Jesus could be the one complete and perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people everywhere in all times. I mean, we must never underestimate what God can do. Through Jeremiah, God tells them that Babylon will, will reign, though only for a limited time, before God uses other nations and great kings to subdue and conquer Babylon. But if these nations don't submit, if they don't go along, God will punish them even worse. And he particularly warns Judah not to listen to others who were claiming to be prophets, who were telling people really kind of what they wanted to hear, that, that, that things were going to be okay, don't worry about it, God is in control, God is going to work everything out the way we want. In Jeremiah 27 verse 14, he says, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name, with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. God had already said, look, the Babylonians are going to do this. The only question is how bad is it going to be? How bad is the punishment going to be? Are you going to turn and things Maybe it don't have to be terrible, or are you going to continue to defy me and not listen to me? And it's going to be really bad. And yet, another prophet, supposed prophet, publicly confronts Jeremiah and his symbolic prophecies. As he's going through town, he's wearing this yoke. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's going day in and day out. He's like this. He walks through town. Obviously, he's, he's going to the temple. He's getting people's attention. They're noticing it. I mean, it's hard not to see somebody wearing a yoke. I don't care where you are. And so we jump to the chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. It says, in that same year, so we've gone at least months, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me, and this is Jeremiah saying, in the house of the Lord, in other words, at the temple, at the main worship site, in the presence of the priests and all the people. So this isn't a private conversation. Saying, this is what Hananiah says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And Jeremiah, if you we read on right there, he, he literally says, Amen. Let it be so. I would love for it to go that way. I would, it would be wonderful. I hate being the bearer of bad news all the time. I hate the way you look at me and think I'm nuts. I mean, he didn't like many of the messages God called him to speak, and in this case, live out symbolically. He wanted Hananiah's prophecy to be true. And Hananiah sounds just like a prophet. He says, thus says the Lord. He's claiming God's word here. 
But Jeremiah knows as a prophet that it is his responsibility to tell people not what they want to hear, but to face the truth and speak what God tells him to say. God had already used Jeremiah over and over to warn the Jews that there were going to be horrible consequences if they continued to disobey God, and yet they hated these prophecies of his, and they thought he was strange. He, he lived them out by God's demand in a number of different ways, not just wearing a yoke. He lived on his side for a period of time. He went around with hardly any clothes on him. I mean, all kinds of things. In fact, history records that he was sometimes called the weeping prophet. As he watched his beloved nation continue to turn its back on God in spite of his prophecies and, and was eventually destroyed and the people were exiled. Hananiah's prophecy was popular. It's what everybody wanted to hear. But Hananiah takes it a step further. Verse 10, then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Jeremiah was committed to doing what God told him to do. And though this had been embarrassing, this had been demoralizing, the people weren't listening, how would you like it if you believed were convicted that you had a message from God and you kept saying it over and over again and people would instead reach out for whatever good other things they could hear. And he just leaves, it says. But God will speak soon through him. In fact, verse 12 says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go, tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord. You have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. In other words, you think this is going to happen, but it's not going to be worse. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. And verse 17 says, in that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it's hard to hear the truth. We don't want to hear that we are sinners. We don't want to hear that Everybody's life should be just fine. You know, if I, if I reach out and touch the screen of that, that, that television evangelist, if I send him enough money, if I just go along with the culture, but there are consequences that catch up with us when we pretend God's truth is not so, as Hananiah found out. And so did the Jews, who, who, who hoped Hananiah had been telling the truth. And yet after the two years Hananiah prophesied, neither the vessels of the Lord's house nor all the exiles were returned from Babylon. And in a few short years, as we already saw in 587, 586, Babylon would besiege Jerusalem, 
burn the city to the ground, knock down all the stones, and take almost all the Jews into exile to Babylon. God had warned them over and over again through prophets like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not the only one who spoke the truth at personal cost, that they were sinners, that they needed to repent, to turn and worship the Lord God and him only. And in much the same way today, voices love to tell you and me, hey, consumerism's all fine. You deserve this. Don't worry about being addicted to work. That's a, that's a good thing. We, we, we like to see people who work really, really hard, and, and, and even if it hurts your family, or it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere because some would say truth is relative. The Old Testament book of Judges ends with what turned out to be an indictment of that belief then and now. The very last verse, chapter 21, verse 25, said everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And over a thousand years later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gave a very similar warning in his writing to Timothy. His second letter, he said, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And we know you and I can always find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. We can always find somebody who, who can take the sting out of the situation, who can make it sound okay, who says that we're doing fine, even good. But what does the Creator, what does our ultimate judge say? We all need hope, but if we listen to Hananiah who tells us what we want to hear, is that really offering us hope or is it giving us a false hope that when it's pulled out from under us, and it will, are we like that young Marine who discovered the cruelness of it that leaves us distressed, depressed, and losing all hope? Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Hope, lists three kinds of hope he says we often wrongly claim. The first is what he calls wishful thinking. You know, that's where we try to change reality to fit our own, our own thoughts. And we say things like, I hope I stay healthy. Or, I, I hope my stocks go up. Or, I, I hope I get that raise. Or, I hope it doesn't rain this weekend. It may or may not happen. But it's almost superstitious, this sincere desire that things go in the direction we want, even though we really don't have any power or control to make them happen. We get so caught up in the wishful thinking, we can begin to convince ourselves that something is true, even though it isn't. A second is blind optimism, where we have more than just a positive outlook. There's nothing wrong with a positive outlook on life. But where we tend to see everything through rose-colored glasses to the degree that we overlook our problems like they don't exist, we believe God will just take care of everything and everything's going to be fine and all we've got to do is just believe. 
Blind optimism can easily overlook some of the dark and painful realities of our world today and just sort of bury our heads in the sand. But it doesn't change reality. And a third he mentions are hopeful dreams, which are lofty goals we set out for ourselves, we hope to achieve. And, and that's, not a, that's a good thing, to set goals. But are they realistic? Are they, are, are they dreams that are so far beyond our limitations that, you know, it's crazy? I mean, I, I'd love to say, hey, you know what? This week, I'm going to go have a tryout with the Astros. And I believe that I can make, make it and I can play Second base. I can take the place of the MVP. I can do it. I, I believe it. You, you believe it, it'll happen. If you don't believe it, how can it ever happen? Does anybody here believe? <laughs> In my best, I couldn't have done that. I, I might hope I can keep a job till retirement and be financially set, but then the economy at tanks, the, the company downsizes, and suddenly I'm out of work. Too often the fulfillment of our dreams is, is beyond our, re, our reality or ability, and it's in the hands of others, and we dwell on them all we want. We believe them as much as we want, but it doesn't guarantee that our dreams will come true. You mean, see, many people think hope is something that they do, but when you look at hope in the Bible, you see instead it is something we can have. The Bible talks about a living hope, and it's directly connected to what Christ has done for us. Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, not necessarily this very minute, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus predicted his death and resurrection in amazing detail. All you have to do is go back and read the Gospels before that last, those last days. And if we can do that, as we saw last week, as we celebrated Easter, then we can trust him in anything he tells us. Yes, I am a sinner who falls short of the glory of God. But Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And as I receive that, as I accept that into my life, he opens the door for eternity for me. Like everyone else, I don't have my act all together. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does, and I can trust him to see me through, even when all of my questions are not answered. The Bible doesn't promise that Christ followers aren't going to have struggles or that all of our dreams will somehow come true, but it tells me God is with me, on my side and never will he leave me nor forsake me. No matter how fair or unfair this life has been to me and to those I care about, God has the final say. He's the ultimate judge. And in, in eternity, justice will prevail. And ultimately, God says he created me, he created you, he created every human being for a purpose. 
that our lives matter, even when we don't see it. But as we trust him, he will use us. He will work through us to accomplish his purposes and help us know that our lives do make a difference, whether we understand it or see it even right now. See, what really matters is who is the source and ground of our hope. Can he be trusted? In Hebrews 6, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Dorothy Sayers wrote a series of detective novels focused on her fictional character, Lord Peter Whimsey, who was an aristocratic detective in the 1930s who solved all kinds of of crimes. Interestingly, about halfway through her series of, of writing these books, a woman begins to appear in the novels. Her, uh, the, the character that Sayers writes into it is named Harriet Vane, a female mystery writer herself who was, in the in this story, claimed to be one of the first women to gr- graduate from Oxford. Harriet and Peter fall in love, and up until that point in the series, Whimsy had been pretty much an unhappy bachelor, but then Harriet Vane has shown up And her love starts to heal his broken soul. What's interesting is that the author, Dorothy Sayers, like her fictional creation, was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. Like Harriet Vane, Dorothy Sayers was a writer of mystery novels. Dorothy Sayers looked at the character she created, Lord Peter Whimsey, and saw that he needed someone to help him out. So what did she do? Who did she put into the story? A detective, novelist, a woman, and one of the first women to go through Oxford. Who was it? She put herself into the stories. She looked into the world she had created. She fell in love with the, her creation, her chief character, Peter Whimsey, and she wrote herself into the story so that she could heal him. Likewise, God created the world. But so many of us have turned away from him and become damaged by our sin. God looks into this world, though, and he he loves us. He loves us so much that he wrote himself into his own story. Only he writes himself, as he writes himself in, he puts himself there in Jesus Christ. And he comes and he heals us and takes us to be his bride and offers us eternity with him, giving us a real and living hope that we can count on. Apart from Christ, we very well may struggle with hopelessness. But God entered into our story, the story of humanity, through his son Jesus Christ and through his resurrection. He's shown us that we can choose to have a living hope. In Romans 8, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I have a real hope, a living hope that we can stand on. who is offered to us in Jesus Christ. Not what the world says, not what we would love to have come to pass, but the truth, the truth, if we choose to trust him today. If that's raised any questions for you, or some struggles, or Jesus Christ isn't, Savior and Lord of your life. We've got a prayer team will be down here in just a moment, and they would love to talk with you about that. They would love to share with you. They would love to listen. If you want to take seriously what it means to put your hope in Jesus Christ, to trust him, then you have to ask yourself, how do I as a disciple continue that journey? And if I'm not doing anything, other than showing up some Sundays, then maybe the practical discipleship classes that start tonight is a next step for you. And you can learn more about it out in our outside. In fact, there's some tables set up right out here where some of the leaders will be out there and they, they'll be happy to talk with you about some of that. Or if you need to find out where you can serve, because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And right over here, Josh, there he is, Josh Mauser held his hand. And he, we have a volunteer. And you can take about 10, 15 minutes and just kind of walk through and just see what are some options for you. And there are areas where we need volunteers, always. You are needed. You do matter. I know our coffee ministry, and we need some ushers, and we can always use people with our children. So some of you, maybe that's a next step for you. And of course, if you're visiting with us, myself uh, and some friends will be out here and we'd love to tell you hello, welcome you to Gateway today uh, and pray that God has used this time to give you a real hope, okay? Um, we're not a church that wants to say everything's okay just because we said it. We want to stand on the gospel. We want to stand on the truth, and we want to help you walk that journey day by day because we believe that is the key to life and life eternal, and that's the hope we have, not a hope generated by this world, not a hope generated by how smart I am or how good-looking I may think I am. It's not about what I do. It's about who I have. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to give us a real hope, a living hope. Father, it's, we confess it is easy to listen to voices that send us down a path that seems hopeful, that offers us so much, but inevitably some point along the way 
the rug gets pulled out from under us. Help us to trust you. Help us not listen to listen to those false prophets, to trust you that you know us, you love us, and you know what's best for us, even when it's not easy. Help us to walk that journey. Help us to find joy and peace in the midst of it, knowing you love us. And nothing in heaven or on earth will ever cause you to stop loving us. That's what you tell us in your word. And that is our hope. We stand on your truth. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.